My name's Sean Stover. It's been a while since I got to be up here. Uh, I'm on staff here at the church, and I love uh, getting to be a part of Cypress Creek Church and the group of folks that are assembled here. Is there anybody out there that uh, likes a good story? Anybody like to hear a good story? All right, a lot of y'all. Okay, do this now, because a lot of you know somebody sitting around you. If you see somebody around you that maybe somebody you rode in the car with to get here or somebody else around you that tells a good story, point to that person that tells a good story. Anybody you know that tells a good story? Robin, you better be pointing at Mac right there. He tells a good story. I've heard some good stories from him. Yeah, all right. So here's the deal. We're going through summer of Mark, okay, summer of Mark. Now, I should have pointed out that telling a good story and talking a lot are two different things, just to be clear. All right, tells a good story. We're going through summer of Mark, and last week, Jose went through Mark 1 and 2. This week, we're gonna look at Mark 3 and 4, those two chapters, and he challenged us to read just two chapters a week. So that means the next week, we're gonna kind of hit the next couple. But uh, I'm excited about what's going on here. Two kind of messages implanted in one time of me teaching. In case Jose didn't let me back up for a few months, I figured I'd give you two messages. So you're getting a lot of bang for your buck right here. Um, I love a good story. So I, I grew up, and my dad, uh, we'd go out of Houston on the weekends up to, our, to the farm in Trinity, a little bitty town outside of Huntsville. And in the mornings at like, man, I don't know what time. It seemed awful early. He'd wake me up, and he would take me to the cafe in town. And we would sit around this big table with all these other ranchers, and those guys would just tell stories and, I mean, get as much of that 25-cent coffee as they could get or whatever, and they just that refueled them to tell more stories. And I loved listening to those stories. As time passed, you know, my mom ended up dying, and my dad would take care of us. So during the summer, he'd take me to his construction jobs, and at the end of the day on the construction job, the guys would get around a table, and they would play poker, and I would sit around and listen to those stories. And then I would get in the truck with Dad, and he would say, forget about all those things you just heard from those guys. Um, and then I would go, you know, other times, and I would hang out with my grandpa, and he played dominoes. I don't know if you've ever been around some guys that played dominoes. And we would sit around, and I would just listen to my grandfather's stories, and I, I just grew up loving stories. I've been accused by people uh, that, of being a good listener. And it's because nobody ever let me talk anywhere we went. I just had to listen to all these other people. So I learned to listen. But I love a good story. The Bible is full of amazing stories. You know, if you, if you break it down, about 75% of the Bible is just stories. 25% of the Bible is laws, precepts, and just raw truth. But 75% of it is stories. Because stories are what stick. They're what last. They're what give us messages and impart wisdom to us. Uh, my family went, again, when I was younger, had the subscription to Reader's Digest magazine, and I'd listened to so many stories, but I started looking through the Reader's Digest that my family had. And there were these cool little short stories, and, and I enjoyed reading those. And then Paul Harvey on the radio, remember, he would tell these amazing, he was a great storyteller. Now, stories are powerful. They give us messages. They give us meaning, and they carry on legacy. EMF did pass away this week, and Jose and I spent some time with her over the last few weeks and sitting by her her side, and some, you know, one day we went, and she's sitting up in a chair, and she's just telling us stories, and we were soaking it up. We were just eating it up, listening to these stories of this woman who lived 97 years. She, she got her pilot's license back in, like, 1940. Can you imagine women in 1940s? And then 
She went, I mean, it was just cool to hear about her flying lessons and, and all that went into that. And she was so quick-witted to the end. Uh, she told us stories about, you know, the women that were working in World War II and how the men came back and wanted their jobs back. And the women were like, I think we're doing this way better than you guys were doing it anyway. Why don't y'all go take care of the kids and let us keep working? And just story after story, the blob, many of you may not know MF and Bill Johnson, but uh, the blob that's at camps all over the country now, uh, Bill had the first blob at their camp, Camp Longhorn. They started that, and then he, he brought the, bought this bladder from the Army to try to store stuff in it. And uh, the storage thing didn't work out. And so we got to thinking, what if I put air in it? And he stuck it out on, on the lake. And, and MF claimed to us, to, to Jose and I, she said, now here's the thing. Bill might have invented the blob as a fun camp feature, but I'm the one who named it. Because I looked out the window and I said, what's that big blob thing doing blocking my view of the lake? And she said, it's stuck. So somebody had to give me credit for naming that thing. Um, stories. To the end, she was telling stories. And those stories are the values and the legacy that live on past her for her family. So one of the first messages I want to give you this morning is that you have stories. Your family has stories. Are you telling those? Are you listening when the people around you are telling stories? Because those stories are what make up who you are. They would make up how you do life. The Bible is full of stories, and thankfully, Jesus was the greatest storyteller of all time. He, he was captivating when he would teach. He was an amazing teacher because of his ability to tell incredible stories. The Bible describes it many times, his teaching ability. In Mark chapter 1, actually, I think it's verse 22, they describe Jesus as the people being amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. That's how I feel, right? That's how we feel when Jose's teaching, right? We're amazed by his teaching because of the authority that he, that he wills. That's exactly how Taylor feels in your house, right? When you're sitting around and you're teaching her things and she is amazed by the authority with which you speak. How about this? They weren't just amazed, but look at this verse about his teaching. The crowd listened to him with delight. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you guys delighted to be listening to me today? Yeah, yeah no, that's okay. You know, but that would be cool if you were. They were delighted to be listening to him. In another place in the Bible, they actually sent these guards to capture Jesus and bring him back and imprison him. And the guards came back without him. They, they decided not to bring him back. And when, when the Pharisees said, well, why didn't you get him? They said this. The guards said, no one ever spoke the way this man does. So we let him go. Because he taught so well, it, it would be foolish for us to imprison him. There's something special going on with him. Jesus was a great teacher. We find out here in, in Mark chapter 3 and Mark chapter 4 what made him a great teacher. And what it was is his willingness and desire to speak in parables. A parable is a story that conveys a message. It, it, it takes common elements and common themes that common man would understand, and it communicates something much deeper or significant. It takes things that physically we would understand and, and helps them describe spiritual things or heavenly things that would be more difficult for us to make sense of. So in Mark chapter 3, again, we're doing two chapters at a time. I'm not going to focus on Mark 3 much. It continues on, though, in 3, talking about Jesus healing at different times, crowds that were following him. Then it gets into uh, a very important 
uh, Mark 3.13, where it talks about the disciples, the 12 that he called to help with the mission that he had. So that's, that's worth reading and very important. You keep on going down, and in Mark chapter 3, verse 23, it says, So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. He was a great teacher because he used parables. Again, in Mark chapter 4, verse 2, it says, He taught them many things by parables. And then again in Mark chapter 4, verse 33, with many similar parables, Jesus spoke to them as much as they could understand. What I'm just trying to make sure and get across is that Jesus was a great storyteller because he told things in parables. I was, uh, some of you may know, a friend of mine here in town, Terry Harris and his wife, Jen, and she's battled cancer, this significant uh, bone cancer surgeries and fought her way through it. Amazingly courageous woman. I, I love them. I'm so proud of them for the way they've done marriage through that, and he and I were talking this week because she had a very similar cancer to what, what my mom had, and uh, down at MD Anderson, like my mom was, and I was telling him about a letter I found in the barn a few weeks ago that um, my mom had written in her own hand a couple of days before she passed away, and the letter was to the FDA, and in the letter, pages, she just begged for the FDA to release this drug uh, to allow it to be used and she said in there, this, it's not going to save me, but I know there will be people that come after me that, that this, um, this drug will make a difference in their life and in their treatment. And uh, I thought to myself, how many times have I sat in front of my kids and told them, hey, look, you have to think about other people more than yourself, or you need to, you need to be persevering through this difficulty. It's not as bad as you think. And it just kind of goes right over their head. But, but what if I told them that story of their grandma? in her last days, not thinking of herself, but thinking of other people. Which one of those messages do you think is gonna stick with them longer or last longer? The parable and the stories teach us things, and that's why Jesus was a great teacher because he spoke to us in parables. You have stories, your family has stories. Share them with each other, they're powerful. The stories of how Jesus has intervened in your life, the miracles that he's worked in your life, the things that he's revealed, tell those stories to those around you. Parables, kind of four simple things. We'll pop them on the screen here so you can just see as I wrap up this parable thing is uh, he taught in parables because of these four things, because speaking the lingo of the common man uh, made those truths more applicable. He was talking about some pretty heady stuff, you guys, stuff that they didn't really have a context for. They didn't have a way to, to assimilate that into their mind with something else because they never heard some of this stuff that he was teaching. So he had to use common examples that made sense to them. It captured people's attention and their imagination. It says crowds of people would come and he would have to kind of get on a boat and teach from off the shore so that he didn't get overcrowded because that so many people, attention and imagination was captured by what he was saying. It makes it easier to retain a message when you tell it in story form with a parable. Research shows that about 10 to 20% of what we hear, we can remember and hold on to, which seems really high when I think about my kids in my household. But that's what the statistics show. But 30 to 40% of what we see and hear, we're able to retain. The word picture adds so much. 36 parables Jesus taught in the Gospels that are recorded. That's not count. Some of them are recorded multiple places. That's original, 36 original, over 100 metaphors that he used when he taught because he was a great teacher. A fourth reason that he used parables was to separate those who were earnestly seeking truth from those with evil intentions. 
See, there were some people that were just coming to try to listen, to try to hear something so that they could then throw that up against Jesus and imprison him or, or take him down or take down his ministry. And so these parables made it harder for them, them to trap him in what they were doing. So you may think to yourself, well, obviously everybody in the Bible was a great teacher. I mean, why else would they be in the, in the Bible? Well, I don't know if you've learned this in your life, but sometimes people are really good writers and maybe not as good as speakers. You ever experienced that before? Like you've read somebody's stuff and then you hear them speaking, it wasn't quite the same. Well, I think Paul might fall into that category because just in case you thought everybody was a great teacher, I want you to hear this, maybe appreciate uh, Jose a little more as our lead pastor. So this is Paul, right? This is in Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Since Paul was ready to leave the next day, he talked to them and kept on speaking until midnight. Kept going. This is in the Bible. Trust me, you can read it. Now, there were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. A young man was seated in the window. He was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell from the third story and was picked up dead. It's in the Bible. This dude literally taught somebody to death. But Paul was Paul, so he went down and he threw himself on the young man and he embraced him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he is still alive. Praise the Lord. You, that, you would think that'd be in the story, right? It's not. This is, this is, the Bible has some good stuff in here. Verse 11 says, then Paul went back upstairs, broke bread, and ate. Well, yeah, you just heal somebody. That sounds, but then after eating, he started speaking again until break, daybreak when he departed. And the people were greatly relieved to take the boy home alive. That's what, I swear that's what the Bible says. What it meant to say was they were greatly relieved that he was done talking. We don't want to overtalk this stuff. But these words that Jesus taught us are so important, you guys. His, he was an incredible teacher. And as, you're, as you read through this, you need to understand that a lot of his messages were really short and really powerful, because he used these mental images to do it. So let's just look at an example of, of how he uses a parable. So in, in Mark chapter four, it's called the parable of the sower as the heading in my Bible. But if we start with verse three, he says this, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came up and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, but the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. So this is an example of one of those 36 parables where Jesus takes something that would be familiar to his audience, kind of planting and growing some crop, and he uses that as an illustration. Now, the illustration is pretty, you know, clear to us now because we see the whole picture. Like, you have to realize the people that he was speaking to, they didn't understand death was coming. They didn't understand resurrection. They didn't understand that Jesus would be seen by all those hundreds of people after he had died in his resurrected form. They didn't understand all of that. So this is new to them. The context is new. So sometimes I'm hard on these disciples. I'm like, why, why didn't you ask them that question? But then I realized, well, they didn't, they didn't have the knowledge that, that we have looking back on the rest of the story. So when he was alone, 
It says, the 12 and the others around him asked him about the parable. Now, I do like this. There's always usually some dude in Jesus' group that's willing to ask him the question everybody wants to ask, right? You know, somebody's like, hey, Jesus, we heard you, but we, we really don't know. What, what did you mean by that seed thing? That didn't make a lot of sense to me. And uh, so Jesus, I mean, he kind of admonishes him a little bit. He said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? He says that in verse 13. But then he goes on to explain it to them. The point of that little section is to help you understand that there are people who will hear God's word and then they will try to earnestly, with curiosity, figure out what it is he's trying to say to them personally so they can apply it. Jesus likes those people. It says the 12 did that and others. So a huge crowd, he taught the huge crowd. Most of them went away. They went home. But some of them stayed and hung with him because they were curious and they wanted to know more. So he did. He explained it to them. And starting in verse 14, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. That's the first category. That's like where he throws the seed on the path. The second is the rocky ground. Others like seed thrown on rocky places hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The third group, the ones that get choked out with the kind of clutters of this world, it says this in verse 18. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And then the fourth category, the first place, the fourth place the seed is sown is on good soil. Others like seed sown on good soil hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, and some 100 times what was sown. What Jesus is trying to teach us in this parable is that this soil that he's talking about is our heart. Like what's the condition of your heart? Is your heart open and receptive like good soil? Are you watering it? Are you fertilizing? Are you spending time in community group and around like-minded people? Are you reading the word? Are you praying? Are you doing those things that would allow God's word to grow in you and ultimately produce a fruit? Man, or is your heart hardened? And in that hardened place, you're not able to receive this. So God's sowing, when he's sowing seed, he's talking about his word. He's talking about implanting that in us. And when he's talking about soil, he's talking about our hearts. When he's talking about the farmer, he's talking about himself. Now, here's one cool thing to me about, about the whole parable. God doesn't discriminate on where he throws the seed. You would think that if he was trying to be strategic, he would like only throw the seed where the good soil is. Well, if that were the case, we wouldn't have near the crops we have in America because year after year, for centuries, farmers in America have gone out to plots of land that probably didn't have much chance to grow some crop and they have thrown some stuff out there and they have prayed, and rain has come, and crops have grown. God continues to throw seed in places that most of us would be like, yeah, I wouldn't talk to them anymore. Their hearts are hardened. I don't know why you even try. Don't mess with them. It's a waste of time. You should go talk to those people over there because they're receptive. God's not like that. God says, I'm throwing it everywhere. Even if the chances are small on that rocky ground or that thorny ground or the chances are really small on that path over there, I'm still throwing seed because I pray and hope that they will receive it. I want to be that kind of person, right? I don't want to be the person that's like, oh, that neighbor, I'm not talking to that neighbor. Oh, golly, no way. 
They're too hardened. I'm not wasting my time there. Let's go find somewhere else. I am that kind of person, if I'm honest. I do that a lot, but I don't want to be that kind of person. I want to be the kind of person that throws seed everywhere, even if there's a chance it's going to fail. That's how God operates. That's the kind of farmer that he is. And his word is amazing. It doesn't return void. There's some benefit when that seed goes out there, whether it produces fruit in that person or not. But the last takeaway for us is kind of this whole idea of our own hearts. And, and pause in for a minute to evaluate, what's the soil like for us? Because he's pretty clear, there's some characteristics of bad soil. They'll pop those up there on the screen for us. Hardened hearts controlled by fear in the enemy. That's bad soil. That's like throwing some seed out there on that concrete behind us. Hardened heart, dominated by fear in the enemy. Bad soil is also shallow hearts that don't apply truth and walk it out faithfully. Those are the people that, you know, they'll say, praise God, I'm praying for you. And you're like, okay, great. And you ask, you know, but you don't really think that's going to happen. Or maybe, you know, some of us that we show up here on Sunday, but then Monday rolls around and things get hard and like we forget everything that we learned and we don't apply any of that. So you can have a shallow heart. And then you could also have a distracted heart that really kind of wants to enjoy Christianity and the benefits of that, but at the same time really wants to have fun and do my own thing on Saturday night. And I really kind of, self-fulfillment's my highest goal in my life, but I mean, yeah, if Christianity helps me to gain a little self-fulfillment, I may, I may go that route. You can easily get distracted. Those are all bad, bad soil. So what's it look like in good soil? I like good stuff better than bad stuff. Good soil. Good soil welcomes the word immediately with humility and curiosity. It's like eager to learn. You know, uh, have you ever noticed that people, when they're broken, tend to receive the word and receive counsel and receive prayer and wisdom more? You're like, why did they have to get to brokenness for that to happen? Think that frequently. Why did you have to wait for your spouse to serve you divorce papers to decide you want to change how you treat them? But that happens a lot. That's part of God's economy. He's willing to take brokenness and use that to create ground. Think about it in terms of farming. That's what we do, right? We could throw seed out. If you've got good ground, you can throw seed out, and if it gets the right water and the right temperature, it will grow. But a good farmer tills that soil up, breaks the soil down, breaks it apart so that then it receives even better. Sometimes God has to use brokenness in our life so that we're receptive and we're good soil. I don't really like brokenness a whole lot, so I'm telling you, you have a choice. If you choose humility and curiosity, he may not have to break you. So why not try that first? Be humble, be curious. God, I don't have this all figured out. Show me what you're trying to teach me. Lead me, guide me. Good soil also welcomes the word deeply with the desire and pursuit of understanding. It's like, all right, I heard that on Sunday morning. You know what I'm gonna go do now? I'm gonna go read Mark 3 and 4 on my own on Monday. You know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna get with my community group and I'm gonna discuss that with them. And you know what, if there's stuff I can't figure out, I'm gonna, I'm gonna email Bob Moss because he's the smartest dude I know about the Bible and I'm gonna get him to answer those questions. You see how I left you and I off of that list? Um, I email Bob Moss, so that's what I would do if I were y'all. Or Christina, she, she always knows what to tell me. All right, number three, welcome the word exclusively with faithfulness and single-minded devotion. You guys, there are sources of information everywhere around us, more than ever before. 
and you will get cute little Facebook, Instagram messages telling you some truth that's gonna change your life. If it doesn't have a Bible reference associated to it or it's not referencing some truth from the Bible, I would say reject it. Just stick with the Bible. There are truths in here that will make your life as good as it can be in the fallen world that we live in. Not perfect, not free from pain, none of that. It's not guaranteed. If somebody's guaranteeing you that, don't buy it because it doesn't happen. But these truths change lives if we're single-mindedly devoted to them. So what's the condition of the soil in your heart? What's the condition of your heart? Are you receptive? Are you curious? Are you humble? Those are really good postures to have as you receive God's word. It says, uh, I'll end with this. Um, well, I will tell you, if you go on down through the rest of four, which I hope you read on your own, there are other parables. Parable of a lampstand, the parable of a growing seed, which is a really cool parable about, and there's a parable of a mustard seed, which makes me think, you know, when Jesus was teaching in this particular time, in this particular section, like, did he look around and there was just a bunch of farmers, like a bunch of people with, with coveralls over there and John Deere hats on, and so he went with all the parables of the seeds in the same section or what, but. He was a good teacher. He knew his audience. So before anybody falls out the window, I'm going to end with this verse. James 1.25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, whoever looks intently into God's word, which gives freedom, and continues in it, that means going deep, continue in it, not forgetting what they have heard. That means when you get out there and the world starts distracting you and the love of money and self-fulfillment comes in, you don't forget what you've heard, the stories and the parables, but rather you do it, act on it, then you will be blessed in what you do. James 1.25, that's a good promise for us. The condition of your heart, have it in a soft, receptive place so that God can speak to you. And when he does, share those stories with the people around you so that your legacy and your values continue, just like they have with M.F. Johnson, just like they have with so many others that we look up to and we love. Let's pray.